Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our episode number 33 of Toaster Talk. We are covering Baku. I say covering because we also have a live panelist right from Baku who's, who's with us today. So good afternoon to you, Prashant. And good evening to you, Vignesh. Thank you. I think Thanks, we had an Vignesh. exciting weekend overall, if not the race per se. But what are your initial thoughts, uh, Vignesh? on the weekend so far? Um, my initial thought is that, okay, if I did a good job with a new experiment, how it fared well, the new sprint qualifying, needs to be seen and how the fans are going to perceive it in the future. But Baku should not have been the track where they should have tested it, considering it has a street circuit. Other than that, the race was pretty much boring, but in a way, I love the sprint format. No, I'm sure, uh, Prashant, you also have an opinion on this, specifically from the fact that you were live there at Baku through the sprint. Definitely. I, I, I bet to differ with Viknesh uh, and, and talking to some fellow fans out here also. I think the format which changed, uh, I think, is with mixed opinion. I wouldn't say it's bad. Maybe we'll have to watch for a couple of more sprint races. we got three more for the year. I think I would say mixed opinion because, yes, now the qualifying gets more importance uh, as compared to last year. That, you know, whoever qualifies now comes to the, you know, standing positions for the final race day, correct? So that's important. But but the in-between part, this, the sprint shootout is a sub-qualifying for the sprint and you get a few more points. So if you're behind points, great. But if you want to safeguard your car for race day, that's what happened with a couple of drivers yesterday. They backed off because a couple of them had a small crashes. Uh, I, I did not see the cars getting pushed to the extreme limits the way they would do on a race day because if something goes wrong, 25 points are gone, right? And you would get eight. Right. So I think drivers were being cautious because it's also new to them. As a fan, also, I was cautious what's going to happen, how it will turn out. Uh, I did watch the I didn't watch the qualifying, but I saw the sprint shootout and the sprint race yesterday. Uh, except the timing factor, it was more or less the same. Right. You know, just a, you know, a, a condensed part of it. So mixed feedback from my side. Mixed feedback from the general opinion, but we got three more. So let's see how it pans up and teams will probably get better strategy into that. Thanks. Welcome back, Sunny, onto the show. We're just doing a quick roundup of Thank you. people's first opinions on the weekend so far, and especially with the new sprint format. Hmm. Yeah, so um, I think the sprint format was interesting. The question that I think we need to be asking is, do we prefer this over two or three practice sessions? Um, difficult to say, um, because see, um, the uh, there's also a, an argument that too much of a good thing, then it doesn't become a good thing anymore. Now we like to see the start of the race, but if we get too many starts of the race, then, it's, then we start to get some fatigue over there. Because each progressive standing start, we start to dilute the value of the standing start. So... So uh, do I prefer to see a sprint race over practice format? Yes, because sprint race is action. However, at the same time, do we want to see a sprint race followed by a main race? Now we have too much of a good thing. 
which will eventually dilute the experience. So I think we have to strike a bit of a balance over there. It's a good start. It's good to see that the uh, um, Formula One administration is taking some initiative to try and make the sport more interesting. So I think uh, uh, brownie points and kudos on that front. But ultimately, I think um, unless the field is more competitive, then I don't think we'll actually see very interesting races, whether it's sprint or the main race. Because right now we have, a, we clearly have a situation where there's a very huge, uh, vast gulf in performance between the teams. And until we can close that gap, then I think all of these experiments will ultimately result, will ultimately be futile, actually. Makes sense. And I think as an experiment perspective, it also makes sense that this did not play into the far, the final race itself. It was standalone event, whatever happens in the shootout, whatever happens in the sprint race, yes, you get points, but it does not impact your race order is what I felt FIA did to sort of hedge the risk with this experiment. But before we get to those details, does anyone want to explain what this format is for our audience? Like what is the sprint shootout that we are talking about and what is the sprint race itself that happened this year as compared to the sprints that we had last year? Yep, Sunny, if you want to go Can ahead. You stab, please? Yeah, so I would like to first set the context, which I actually just pointed out a bit earlier. So the reason why Formula One administration is looking at experimenting is because um, the opinion, the consensus was pre-practice sessions are boring. You have cars just roaming around the circuit and they're doing their own run program and there's no competitive action over there. This is not interesting for the fans. So this is the context. So with that context, the, the administration decided, okay, now let's see what we can do to make it interesting, but at the same time, not uh, dilute the race. We want the race to be still the main focus. So let's come up with something different, something interesting. And so that's the reason why we have this sprint format. Now, last year we had this, this um, we had the sprint, we had the qualifying for the sprint, and then you had the sprint that determines the, the order for the race. So it was all a little bit confusing. So that is the reason why Formula One administration has decided to make the sprint a separate event where you have the qualifying on Friday. Previously, the qualifying was on Saturday. Now that has been shifted to Friday. And mind you, we have only one practice session because once again, going back to the previous argument, practice sessions are boring. We don't want to see cars just doing their own thing. Where's the fun in that? Okay, fine. So only one practice session followed immediately by the, by the qualifying. And then on Saturday, you have the dedicated day of Saturday towards the sprint qualifying, which is a different, which is a qualifying, but not the main qualifying. And then you have the sprint race itself. So you have qualifying for the sprint race, then the sprint race, which is a shortened version of the main race. And then, of course, you have the main race on, on Sunday. So you basically have the same three-day affair, but you don't have so many practice sessions. And you have the sprint format and the sprint qualifying to replace those practice sessions. Good. And I think the sprint race itself, for example, yesterday was 17 laps, which meant that teams did not have to dive into the pit at all. They could just do it in one go. Do you think strategically that could play out for some teams where now over the weekend, they have a chance of getting more points versus what is happening currently in a regular race format? And I would point this question specifically at a Ferrari fan. Yeah, Vivek, I think uh, it, it it's again, I would say, a mixed opinion. I believe, I think what Sunny brought in a great point, first of all, that, you know, there is only one Friday practice and if I is trying to make these changes from a fan per se. But if I'm think, think about that I am a team member, I am a part of the pit crew, I'm a part of the engineering crew. I have now only one session 
to get the car right. Because after that, if the alignments and the arrangements are fine, then I have good uh, you know things to work out on for the next couple of days. But if I don't get it, then across the next 48 hours in every event, I'll be struggling in. So this may not work out for the bottom placed teams because first of all, it's lesser investment, lesser time for engineering and, and lesser uh, you know risks to take up, correct? And, and I think coming back to the point, one small issue, uh, like example, uh, you know, I, I had the uh, I was fortunate enough to see the small scratch which had happened uh, to uh, Verstappen's car, right? Because of the Russell's uh, small contact, correct? Now imagine if that had happened to a lesser, uh, you know, a bottom place team, and it was a much bigger impact. They would be struggling for for a Sunday readiness, correct? Because there is no no time to run, there is no time to pre prepare the car overnight. You have to do it, and you don't know whether it will work out. So it 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 is a challenge, and I think somebody like uh, you know Ocon and Hulkenberg did pretty good today, right? Ocon, that's why he backed off yesterday, started from the pits today, and I think he finished in points. So that was a good situation to be in, but can't guarantee that it will happen all the time. So FIA needs to probably think this from not just fans. I know revenue comes from fans, but also from how the teams are going to ploy for it, how ready they are, and take that forward. Uh, if I were FIA. I would probably experiment it, just see the reactions and probably take the entire sprint strategy out, you know, just not have any sprint, just have the traditional qualifying on Saturday and the traditional race on Sunday and uh, just go with that. You know, that would be much better. And like no other racing sport has, uh, like cricket has four different formats today. I think Formula 1 is heading towards that, you know, multiple sub-formats, which might create a bit of confusion, but yeah, it's entertainment. Yeah, and I was joking about that, right? Like Ferrari is probably going to do a spin-off of Formula One, call it Ferrari One F1, and just have a one-lap shootout in terms for qualifying because that's where Leclerc and the team are actually. They, they, they always do well in qualifying, but not in the race. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, you brought a good point in terms of hard racing yesterday, right? Uh, Russell and Max sort of had their elbows out, and there is a mixed jury on. Who played it out right? At the end of the day, we said it was a racing incident. But Vignesh would love to hear your thoughts on Max being squeezed into the corner from from a racing perspective, which he's not used to so much because he's usually at the front of the pack with clear road in front of him and behind him. But yesterday was an interesting race setup for him. Uh, yeah, so the point is, right, uh, everything boils down to what you call it as a racing line and who owns the racing line. Now, what Russell says is that, okay, if he is in the, in the inside of the line, then the racing line belongs to the driver in the inside. Whereas Max says that, okay, even if it is he is in outside, he was ahead of him when aiming for the corner. So the racing line belongs to him. And this is where the equation totally boils down to. Uh, the point is, see, what Russell said is that okay, he's also uh, contending for championship. And just because someone else is hired of him in, in terms of points and is leading the championship, doesn't mean that, okay, you give the place to him just because they are the championship leader. Every driver strives to achieve excellence. And that, and that is what I see both drivers not backing out. And that is the reason this entire thing came into picture. Got it. I mean, the yeah, I think just to add to what Vignesh said, uh, see, I think 
whether you are the world champion or not, everyone has to uh, fight for the positions. And I think Russell was fighting very aggressively yesterday. Uh, and I think whether the racing line belonged to him or to Max, I think some of the, uh, I think right after that press conference, you know, I, I was just watching it on the giant screen and, and Max said, I think the interviewer asked the question and said, hey, is the issue close with Russell? And he said, no, it's not closed, right? Meaning that was a bit disrespectful according to me. Uh, if 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 Hamilton, uh, sorry, if Verstappen was in Russell's position and somebody else had asked it, I'm sure Max's statement would have been exactly opposite of that, right? So, uh, world champion or not, everyone has to fair fight. And I think Russell did a fair fight, right? He was aggressive. He was in the, you know, good standing position. So, uh, I think FIA, that's why I said, you know, it's fine. You know, there was no penalties or anything imposed on it. And it was just a racing incident and called out. So, you got to take it with a pinch of salt. That not every time, uh, you know, the 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 uh, the victory or the achievements can come your way, just like today. So uh, I think Max needs to start understanding that a little bit. I mean, the only other thing I would like highlight before we move into that is, I think the most entertaining piece in the sprint race yesterday was Sonoda's tire, which got more race, sprint <laughs> race time than Sergeant himself. Yeah, but yeah, That's Sunny, cool. you had an opinion on the sprint. I, I had an opinion about uh, uh, Prashant's point, you know, about the uh, lack of practice sessions and how that actually disadvantages the smaller teams. But actually, um, if you see the argument from the from the paddock and even from what I've heard so far, which I also tend to agree, it's the other way around. You see, the more practice time the teams have, the more time the larger teams have to fine-tune their car. Whereas with less practice time, it's more of a level playing field. So um, it's the other way around. Less practice sessions means less time for the teams to fine-tune the car. And the bigger teams with their bigger resources will not have that much time to fine-tune the car and get an even bigger advantage. So um, I think that's the reason why they're looking at reducing the practice sessions to actually bunch the, team to get, bunch the teams together rather than widen the gap. In fact, that is the reason why you see some, in some tracks like Austria, which is the shortest race track on the calendar, the, the gaps tend to be close, two-tenths, three-tenths between the top 15 teams because the track is short. Whereas the longer tracks like this one, Azerbaijan or Belgium, the, the gaps tend to be one second, two seconds also sometimes because the tracks are longer. So shorter practice sessions or less practice sessions will actually bring the teams together and more practice sessions will spread the field apart. I think that's a unique perspective and it does make sense, but clearly today's race didn't help balanced it out because we still had an RB1-2. They're clearly miles ahead of everyone else, irrespective of how much practice time each one gets. Yeah. But what are your thoughts on, I mean, I guess the good thing was Perez is leading versus what we're used to seeing Max. What are your thoughts on Perez potentially trying to push for world champion fight and this year might actually be an RB1 versus RB2 race versus actually finding out who the world champion is from any other uh, any of the other constructors. And Prashant, if you want to take a first stab at that. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I think, I think personally, I was very happy with how Perez drove even yesterday. Uh, I think he was clearly miles notch ahead. Uh, even though there was DRS available, I think Max couldn't catch catch up on uh, Checo or did he, he didn't want to push it? Not sure. But anyway, I think he repeated a great success. There was a bit of luck involved in, you know, just 
at the right junction when Max pitted is where the safety car was called, meaning probably a few seconds here and there. And I don't think Red Bull or uh, Max knew about it because there was an incident, there was a yellow flag, you know, we, we could hear the audio very clearly. But the moment he dove in or he was about to dove in is where the safety car was called. So I think his timing was a little bit unfortunate, not uh, unplanned. That gave the advantage to Checo because, uh, you know, we were watching Checo was just about two, three seconds always behind Max. Very well drove car, meaning it was flawless. There were a few replays I saw where he actually touched the, scraped the uh, barricades, which I think Max also did. It happens in a city circuit, right? The, the circuit itself is so small. Uh, the, the space to move around is very, very less, but brilliantly drove. And I personally feel that he is going to give a little bit of nightmares to Max. Now, it depends upon how Red Bull takes it up. I know that Max has got a much bigger fan base. Uh, but today, you know, from the uh, from the audience and from the spectators, let me tell you two things. There's a huge support for Checo. People were cheering him and on and on, even before he stood on the stadium. But when Max came in, there was not much of <laughs> resounding applause, uh, except probably very hardcore fan base. So I think things have fallen very nicely for uh, Checo in the last couple of races. He's doing very, very well. How consistent he's going to be is to be seen. But I think the most important is how does Red Bull take this up? Are they going to give keep giving the preferences to Max versus Checo? If they keep it an evenly balanced fight, then I think Checo has a great chance to be a champion this time around. He's probably getting into his best form of his life so far for this year. Interesting points there. Another team that we haven't really spoken about is Mercedes' performance this weekend. And I want to hear Vignesh's thoughts on that. So, just before the summer break, we had seen that okay, Mercedes had a good increase in the performance. Somewhere that performance has gone away in the street circuit. This might be a circuit-related issue, but uh, we'll only be able to understand it much better after they bring up bring their update packages in Imola. But overall, I would say see, Mercedes had not so great outing in Baku. If you see, Russell's damage... Then in the actual race also, they were not able to challenge the top three. By the top three, I mean the Red Bull, the Ferrari and Fernando Alonso. But uh, yeah, so in that way, I would say Mercedes had a pretty decent outing. Not the best they would have looked for. And Sunny, what would your takeaway be from this entire race weekend, specifically today's race? And RB is clearly a constructor's championship is a given. RB1, RB2 will figure out as the year continues. Mm. Yeah, so um, I just want to add to Prashant's point about Checo. And it's really interesting to know that the fans were cheering for Checo because clearly Checo is the underdog. You know, Max is already two-time world champion. He himself has said that he's already achieved what he wanted to achieve in Formula 1. Multiple times he has said that. So I think now's the time for Checo to really step up. Now, can he continue this for 20-odd races? That remains to be seen. If you remember in 2019 also... We had Mercedes winning the first six races, I believe it was, when Bottas and Hamilton shared the first four races, two wins each in the first four races. So this is very reminiscent of that. We have two races, which Verstappen has won and Perez has now won two races. So uh, Red Bull might continue this uh, dominance for the foreseeable future. 
now the question is, can Checo sustain this for, as I said, 20 races? It's only been four races, which is uh, nothing much. In 2019, we had the same start with Mercedes, and in the end, Hamilton won by a long stretch. So we don't want that to happen. So that remains to be seen. But I'd like to really point out one. I was actually watching this race with a friend of mine who is a very, um, uh, very new to Formula One and doesn't know anything and doesn't know anything about aerodynamics and doesn't know anything about the teams. And you won't believe what my friend told me. <laughs> so he was just looking at the cars. He was amazed to see the speed advantage of the Red Bull when they overtook Leclerc, both of them. Verstappen. He's like, wow, what? that's amazing speed. Even from a person who never doesn't watch Formula One so much. And you know what he told me uh, towards the end? He asked me, how come the Red Bull car has got so many stickers, sponsors, and the other cars don't seem to have any sponsors? <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I, I think it's... It's a, and this is from a complete novice who doesn't know anything, who's just uh, to a complete untrained eye. So you see it's a winning cycle because Red Bull are the world champions. More sponsors want to, want, want to associate with the team. More sponsors means more money. Yes, of course, we have a cost cap, but they have more revenue coming in, which means the team is more profitable, which means they have more flexibility to do more things, right? which means the, the, uh, the support from the management as well will be better because revenue is coming in. And with all of that support will lead to more, um, more positive atmosphere in the team, which leads to even more speed, more development. So it's, a, it's like a cycle. So Red Bull right now have got so much of momentum that even a complete novice is able to tell me and then notice that there are more, more sponsor stickers on the car versus the other teams. And I think it's going to be very difficult after seeing the last four races. It's going to be extremely difficult. Mercedes might have a chance to come up with a monster upgrade. We've seen it in the past before. If you remember in 20, the, the famous 2021 season when Hamilton bolted the last engine uh, just before the Brazilian race and won from the back to the front. So that was an incredible upgrade. So unless we see some kind of monster upgrade like that, but even if you get a monster upgrade like that, you're only catching up. You're not really beating the Red Bull team right now because they're so far ahead. So I think um, from what we've seen right now, it's going to be really difficult. Red Bull had that uh, wind tunnel penalty. <laughs> doesn't seem to have affected them that much. And uh, even if you're, uh, even if, when the time comes in, when they actually develop and they, uh, that penalty might affect them, by which time the car would have been so far ahead, it's really difficult. I really don't see how any of the teams can uh, catch them. And one very interesting point in the post-race um, uh, press conference, not the press conference, but the immediate comments after the race, when... They asked Charles uh, Leclerc, okay, now see Ferrari have, have uh, uh, it's a little bit of positivity because now you've come on the podium and you seem to be closer. Uh, do you think this is a positive? To which Charles Leclerc very rightly pointed out, says, no, this is not really a positive. Yes, we seem closer, but then we don't know how much management those guys were doing in the front. Because see, when you're 20 seconds up, in the, up the road, you're definitely doing some management or the other. Yeah, they were pushing each other, but there is also some amount of management and they do have some pace in reserve as well when you're that far up the road. So to what extent were they pushing, uh, were they preserving, we don't know. So, so even if the other teams catch up those 20 seconds, the Red Bull team can stretch their legs further and then we don't know what, how far ahead they really are. So um, that's the long answer to my take on what, what can we expect for, this, for the season. I think it's a given that uh, uh, the Constructors' Championship is pretty much wrapped up. The drivers' championship also—it's only four races. It's too early to say. So thanks for those background uh, and yeah, I think there is obviously a lot more, lot at play. Maybe Imola, where a lot of upgrades are supposed to come in for the other teams, will potentially make it a little more exciting. But the last question that it's I have—speculation. 
Yeah. The last question I have is Charles forgot to mention that he's got onto the podium every time Prashant's been live at the <laughs> circuit. So Prashant, uh, I want to hear your thoughts on one. Obviously, uh, Ferrari getting a podium finally this season. And more importantly, the entire experience, ambience, atmosphere of being live at Baku. Definitely. I think I think yesterday or, or since I couldn't see the qualifying on Friday and when I saw the results, I was like, okay, super excited to see Charles coming there. But you, you knew the reality, correct? Ground realities. And that was clearly shown, first of all, in the sprint. You know, uh, as I told, I was in the straight lines, which is cl very close to the start line finish, but towards more like the ending, not at the starting. That's where the cars go up to like 250 to 315 kilometers per hour speed. DRS is enabled. So super fast, right? I saw a big observation. Aston Martin, Alonso's car faster than Charles Leclerc. Because he was in fourth position. He was in third. I could see the car going much, much faster. I saw the Red Bulls on like a totally different planet, correct? So from that standpoint, they were good upgrades for Ferrari. Good to see them on podium. Uh, Sainz definitely need to catch up. He was struggling at once upon a time with Hamilton out there. So overall, a, a positive start, at least a step forward for this uh, year, 2023, the first podium. A lot of fans were supporting Ferraris. And in fact, like I think two rows away from me, there was a girl who was holding uh, you know, a, a placard and said, I think I think the word said I'm here to cry again, and she wore a Ferrari jersey, and everybody knew what she meant by, okay. And people went and stood next to her and took the pictures. I didn't do that, but I just got a picture of people standing out there, right? So I think that's the reality. People know already what is Ferraris going to be to the capability level. From a fan experience, definitely Baku was fantastic. I think it had more things to offer uh, than probably what I've seen in some of the other circuits. Definitely the concerts and uh, were uh, some additions which were there. Uh, nothing new. Most of the circuits now offers concerts. Either as a part of the package or you buy extra, whatever it is. Uh, very well organized, uh, very well established. Infrastructure was very nice. Uh, they had, since it's a city circuit, they had closed like nearly 25% of the city. It happens in the prime heart of the city. Imagine you're in Bangalore and it happens in Shivajinagar KR market majestic area and and you had to cordon the entire road off meaning it's unbelievable to even think that india can ever do a city circuit right uh, so uh, the the in the, the amazing capabilities they had the amazing uh, infrastructure they had and they didn't do anything special because there are metro lines which runs in underground so it's easier to come to the closest metro and hop on hop off wherever your gates are uh, I think overall, as a fan experience, definitely a lot of positives I carry because probably Baku has been there probably, what, nearly about seven, eight years right now, if I'm not wrong, maybe close to 10 years. I, I'm not exactly sure. So they've really got a good grip of it and they announced the renewal at the right time, right? You know, at the end of the sprint race, boom came on the big screens that, you know, it's renewed for another three years. So it gives a lot of positivity there's a lot of uh, uh, you know pride people take in there's a lot of pride the local people take in even though english is not a very uh, popular language but they know that you're a foreigner and say formula they, they don't use formula one say formula yeah, yeah so that's it you know they know exactly where to take you and all of that uh, so very very nice atmospheres uh, uh, bit of 
challenges in some of the logistics, which at least personally as a fan I saw, but not nothing to worry about as such, but great experience. Definitely great experience, value for money, uh, but it's a bit pricey ticket. That is what I have seen. You know, uh, the, st the stands where I was, uh, I could have got probably a grandstands in Bahrain for that price which I paid, correct? You know, like sitting at the start, ending kind of stuff. So probably it's the, the economical factors which plays in. It's a lot more closer to Europe. So more Europeans, a lot of Russians do come in. But overall, it's a value for money for people to come in over here and experience the, the circuit for about three days. Thank you for making all of us. I ask you, where else have you gone? Where else have you visited apart from Azerbaijan? Uh, lots of them. <laughs> Lots Bahrain, of Singapore, Malaysia, China, and uh, India, of course. So about six, seven circuits. Okay. Are we seeing you in Miami? Because that's where the next race is. Uh, no, not this year. I think I've, I've kept a strategy to be uh, having one new destination race, uh, which I can go and experience. So last year was Bahrain. This year was this one. Two years ago, I had booked Vietnam, but Vietnam uh, race did not happen due to COVID. So I'll see what's there for 2024, uh, a new destination which comes up and want to try it out. So that that's the plan. At least watch one it. race, uh, you know, per year, in-person kind of stuff. So <laughs> Thailand next year. Sorry? Thailand, South Africa. Yeah, South maybe. Africa is on the cards, definitely. Uh, so I think Thailand may be there. Vietnam's being discussed again. So... I'll see whichever works out. We'll go explore it out. Uh, definitely, it requires three, four months of planning ahead. Uh, because, you know, if you're going very, very high-cost location, uh, there's a lot of planning required, you know. And, and most important, I'll tell you, sorry to take uh, 10 seconds extra. The place where you sit also matters, you know, to have the right experience, correct? So you can see where I was, right? You know, the, the picture behind me, the virtual screen. Though I did not get the extreme corner seats, if I had the extreme corner seat, you see where the ca car is turning, Baku's advantage is the, 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 there is one road where it's like this. The car comes and takes a right, goes take a U-turn and come back. So you got two times where you can see the car. Car is exiting and car which is coming in at a top speed. So I planned and planned. I still got much better seats than what I thought of. But if I had got another 20 seats to my right, I would have been sitting in the corner and I would have had a full unobstructed view of cars Exiting from this turn, which I think is, uh, uh, I, I forgot, I think turn 11 or 12, and then takes a U-turn in the old Baku and comes back on the straight line, that would have been even more value for money, but no regrets to it. You know, So it does require a bit of planning to where you want to sit, uh, what's the best viewing area and all of that. Brilliant. Uh, I think we'll have a lot more to discuss about that fan experience itself, and we're going to take notes from you on figuring out where do we want to sit if we land up somewhere, but overall, an exciting weekend, I would say, uh, while the race didn't have any major surprises play out, though Perez did come up tops over there, an interesting new sprint format that FIA experimented with, whether it worked out or not, we'll get to know with a few more sprint races, but thanks to all our panelists today for sparing their time to discuss about Baku. Looking forward to our next episode as we head over across continents to Miami. Thanks a lot once again, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Good night. Thank, Thank you. you.